This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Hello, and welcome to the Baker's Dozen episode of Make America Grape Again. I'm your host, Cody Burkett. And I'm not. (laughs) Welcome to Connecticut. So our wine today is from Sharp Hill Vineyard, located in central Connecticut. It is apparently located right in between the two AVAs that cut through Connecticut. You have a continuation of the southern New England AVA, which we visited in the Massachusetts episode with Cinco Case. And there is also the western Connecticut Highlands AVA. There are, apparently at this point in time, about 33 vineyards in Connecticut, and I could find no number of acreage for Connecticut. So I have no idea how it compares in terms of size to Arizona, but being a smaller state, 33 vineyards, so we're going to go with probably maybe somewhere between 500 and 1,500 acres as a guess. Maybe? I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out on a limb for that one. It's okay. We'll, we'll survive. So do tend to be smaller back east. So this is true. I want to say, if I remember correctly, Sharps Hill Vineyard alone is about 50 acres. All right. Um, but I could be wrong on that. There was a very long day when I visited and bought this bottle way back when. This is the Sharp Hill Dry Summer Rosé from Connecticut, 2015. Produced and bottled by Sharp Hill Vineyards in Pomfret, Connecticut. 12% alcohol, according to the side label. This delightful wine is fashioned enough to the dry rosé wines that are so popular during the summer on the French Riviera. Sounds exactly the kind of bag of label junk that a rich white person would write. <laughs> and that a rich white person would buy. Yep. That describes about most of the visitors at the tasting room when I was there. Let's be honest, it describes most of the Northeast. Yeah, this is true. But that being said, this is I. This is our second rosé that we've covered on the podcast. The first was, of course, the Pinot Noir rosé. This getting into the height of rosé season, it's about time we reviewed another one. Super watermelony on the nose. Uh, I get sort of watermelon and like um, mild cheddar cheese, which is what I would expect from a hybrid varietal. And flower petals. Definitely flower petals. I'm thinking rose and maybe lilac? Maybe. Definitely not violets. Not lavender either. Maybe lilies. I'll take it. It's got this nice salmon color, which is about what you'd expect for a really nice rosé. This rosé is made from 100% of a varietal called St. Croix, which is a cold-hardy complex American hybrid gaining ground in Quebec and the Midwest, according to the Big Red Wine Book. I encountered this grape a couple of times in at least three vineyards in the Northeast. Verde Vineyards in Rhode Island, and of course Sharp Hill Vineyard here and then there was one vineyard i heard that was growing it in massachusetts as well according to this this is an elmer swenson 283 cross with elmer swenson 193 so it's a hybrid complex american hybrid Uh, the vine first fruited in 1977 and it was introduced in 1981 and patented to elmer swenson 1982. it is a complex of vitis riparia vitis labrusca vitis vinifera vitis linsky cumi and Vitus Rupestus. Oh boy! <laughs> it's a red American hybrid, is what it means, basically. Pretty much. Um, little botanist note, 
anytime you see a word ending with two I's, it's E-I. E-I? Really? E-I-E-I-O. Not a botanist, ladies and gentlemen. I just drink wine and know what it is. Uh, it's good for cold areas because it's very hardy uh, to blow 20, minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit, possibly as low as minus 35. Although the roots apparently aren't as cold hardy and it needs snow cover and really cold winters. It says it's free from Foxy Lambrusca flavors, which I agree with. Completely. There's a little bit of a yeasty, earthy, cheesy character, but it's not like Foxy. I would not categorize this as Foxy at all. Now that earthy cheesiness is perfectly in line with what you would get with a rosé from the south of France. This is true. Not only that, it's also what you would expect from that sort of moisture terroir. Mm -hmm. As we, we talked a little bit about that in the Cinco Calles episode as well. How that sort of character is prevalent in very moist environments, especially in whites. It doesn't have it as prominently, but it's not a white wine either. We've spoken about it several times also on your other podcast, the Wine Monk podcast. This is true. So yeah, nothing unexpected there. Pilot. That is the unexpected part. I was not expecting this to be as lovely as it is because it's a hybrid from Connecticut. Yeah, this is waffable, indeed. Watermelon, not watermelon Jolly Rancher, but actual true watermelon. Grocery store seedless watermelon. That's almost the entire flavor I'm getting on the palate. Uh, a little bit of like rose petal, uh, a little bit of earthiness, but other than that, just, just hello watermelon. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Medium acidity. It's got that, again, that really nice rosé color. Yeah, this is... Surprising. Yeah. I am pleasantly surprised by this wine. So the big thing in Connecticut for wine is the Connecticut Wine Trail, which links approved wineries in the state of Connecticut. As of 2015, there are 33 wineries on the trail. Sharp Hill Vineyard is among them. These members of this wine trail will participate with other Connecticut farm wineries with this passport thing. Something I wish we would do in Arizona, honestly. I think that would be a really fun thing to do. Apparently the idea was conceived in 1988 and officially started in 1992 with only five wineries. Now it has 33 wineries. There may be more wineries in Connecticut, but I've not been able to discern that number uh, because the Wikipedia article is cantankerous at best. It also says the year that the viticultural industry was established in Connecticut was 1788, which sounds kind of wrong. I wasn't able to find really any history of Connecticut wine, unfortunately. Well, um, 1788 kind of makes sense because what did everyone do when they immigrated to the U.S.? Playing vines when they could. Exactly. So it doesn't... It's not... I'm trying to find a phrase here, and I'm having trouble. It doesn't not make sense. Yeah. Something to that effect. I will say what information I have been able to find is that uh, the modern wine industry in Connecticut began with the passage of the Connecticut Winery Act in 1978. So it is definitely an older industry than here in Arizona by far. Well, not really by far. Let's see, 78, 3-ish for Arizona. So it's arguably a few years older than Arizona, but not by that much. But yeah, I was pretty impressed with this wine when I tasted it in the tasting room. But again, that could be that the bottle was open a little bit longer and it's allowed other flavors that we haven't encountered yet. Uh, because as we've stated before, we're not decanting any of these before we open them for the podcast. We're just opening them as is uh, to get a more full picture of what most people would, would be tasting with this bottle because not everyone has the time for 
decanting, and also most people laugh at the idea of decanting a rosé, but you and I have both done it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and there was also that one memorable time where we poured rosé into the hookah. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah, that was a terrible idea. I don't recommend that idea ever. That was disgusting. Well, to be fair, part of that was probably also the rosé we used. True. And part of it was the hookah tobacco. Yeah, we used the cheapest possible Arizona rosé. And the cheapest possible hookah tobacco for it. Yeah, you make that mistake, you're going to have a bad time. But this is lovely. Indeed. Wouldn't necessarily pair it with anything except for maybe a cheese platter and charcuterie. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Cheese, some crackers, some olives, some assorted pickled things. This is going to be a short episode, I'm sorry guys. But it's not a short episode because it's a bad wine, like the Virginia episode. It's short because it's rosé, and rosé, when it's good, should be simple. And that's kind of the point of rosé. Rosé is the wine that you drink when you want a glass of wine chilled on a hot summer day. It's not supposed to be overly complex because you don't want that complexity. You don't want to sit and think about your wine on a hot summer day. You kind of want to just sip it. I would dare say I disagree with that. Okay. I love a complex, intricate rosé that's just waiting for me to spend a lot of time with it. And but, granted, most people aren't like me. But that being said, I do love complex rosés, but not when I'm wanting to pound a bottle on my porch. True. And this is definitely what I would qualify as a porch pounder. Absolutely. And there is nothing wrong with that. But I wouldn't generalize rosés as a whole as when they're good, they're not complex. This is true. And that was a bad generalization on my part. Um, Again, there there comes a time and a place for that complexity, and I love a good complex rosé, but not, again, when I'm sitting on my porch. At least in the hottest part of the day. In the evening, I do want a more complex rosé, because as I'm sitting watching those shadows rise from my deck across the valley, then I do want something more complex. But if it's, you know, 1 p.m., 2 p.m., coming back from, say, you know, hiking or something, or on a hike, I, I, I want... A porch pounder, basically. Or a forest pounder. (laughs) Uh, I don't want something that's really complex. I want something that has a few simplistic great characters rather than a lot of complex great characters. Or, alternately, um, as we have encountered in a few rosés, complex horrible characters. We've certainly experienced our fair share of those. Yeah, we're not going to name names, though. Nope. But on that note, let's make America great again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. I'm Gary. You can find me on Instagram at greaterthanwines on Facebook at facebook.com slash greater than wines and by email at greater than wines at gmail.com. <laughs>